Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode 36, What Lenses I Have and Why. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Well, I'm coming to you guys from my brand new office, and I'm super pumped about that. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly what the audio quality is going to sound like in this office yet because I don't, I don't have everything moved in, and I don't have any sound paneling up or anything like that yet. I still have a ways to go, but either way, I am very, very, very excited to be recording my first podcast in here. Um, you know, I've been, I, I talked recently in a in one of my last podcasts about how it's been a crazy busy year for me since um, basically since the end of last summer, and it, it has stayed that way. It's just unreal to me how uh, how much video work I've gotten since the end of last summer. It's just been the hottest run I've ever been on, and I'm super pumped about that. And during the middle of that run, <laughs> we were building a house, and we were moving from San Marcos, Texas, to New Braunfels, Texas, which is about 15, 20 minutes south of San Marcos. So um, my, my house is finally done. It got finished, and we closed on it um, about three and a half-ish weeks ago and moved in, and I love my new place. We have a huge backyard, and uh, in the backyard we have um, nothing behind us. We're uh, not really in the country per se, but it kind of feels like we are. I have a lot of deer that hang out right behind our house, and it's awesome to watch them. I've got a bachelor group of five bucks I've been keeping my eyes on just for fun, watching them grow. They've already got nice growth on them. Got some does and um, some fawns. It's just it's pretty awesome to have that in my backyard. I didn't have that in my old house. And um, plenty of room or space for me to shoot my bow and to do basically anything we want to do, something I just haven't had in a while. And one of the really cool things about this new house is we we went with a, a, a build that had a really big office and it is a really big office. I I love it. Um, I've got all my stuff set up in here. I'm going to build barn doors for this closet, huge closet I'm building. That's going to be my gear closet. It's going to have my, my logo uh, and metal on it for when I shoot any kind of vlogs or anything. That'll be in the background. And I'm going to put studio lights in here and um, have ways to control the lighting in the office, um, whether it's closing out natural window light or whether it's working with the window light and mixing that with studio light. We're going to do sound paneling in the room, just so many things um, that are going to really bring this office together. And it's not its not going to happen overnight, and I know that. Um, I'm just kind of excited to, to even start the process and to finally be, to finally be here. Um, so it's been a crazy year. Just work is just Man, it's been absolutely amazing, and then we we moved on top of that. So it's uh, it's been a wild year, but a really good, a really blessed year. You know, one of the things that I've had uh, conversations about with some of my friends who are also in video production recently is why um, I have elected not to hire any full-time employees up to this point in my business. I certainly have enough work to support them, um, and also why I don't office um, somewhere else outside of my home. 
I have some friends that do that, and I think there's a lot of benefits to that. I just personally, I really like officing from home. I like being able to, if I have to get ready for a shoot, I don't have to stay up at an office somewhere late at night getting ready. I could be at my house and get ready when my wife's home and when she's home from work. And we, um, I've actually never said this, we have a baby on the way. Um, so I guess that's my first time ever saying that publicly. Yeah, that's my first time ever saying that publicly. Yeah, we got a baby on the way. It's going to be our first child. It's going to be here, hopefully, um, on Halloween Day. I say hopefully because that's the due date. And I'm hoping (laughs) that it happens on Halloween because I think that would be really, uh, really cool to have a Halloween baby. But anyway, with my wife um, having a full-time job and us having a baby on the way, I really enjoy being able to work from home where I can shut these French doors in my office and work on a project, but then walk right out in the kitchen and they'll be there. And I really like that. I like if I have a shoot that I'm getting ready for, I can charge batteries at nine o'clock at night and change them over to another set of batteries and not have to stay at an office to do that Uh, or bring all my gear home from the office to do that, you know? And I also really like officing from home because I like... I like the fact that I can scale to any size project I want, and I can do that because I don't have office as an overhead, and I don't have full-time employees as an overhead. You know, when I look at bigger production companies that have full-time employees in a big office building, they have a huge overhead. And when you have a a, a stretch like like with COVID, where maybe uh, the market's a little rocky, you either might have to furlough your employees or maybe even let some go, or maybe just you yourself have to dramatically cut down your profit because you're just trying to hang on. Whereas I don't have any of that overhead. You know, like I had some struggles throughout COVID at the beginning of it and until until I started getting into live streaming business and then work just naturally picked back up toward the end of last summer. Um, but I, I was only fending for myself, right? And just me and my family. I, I wasn't trying to support any employees. I wasn't trying to support an office building. And I like not having that stretch, stress, not stretch. Um, but I, so, and, and then a, and aside from that, I also like the fact that um, I can, like I said a minute ago, I can scale to any size project I want. If you want to hire me as a freelance videographer to come out and film something that's already got a script to it, and that's literally all I'm doing is to show up as a day rate videographer, I can do that at my day rate. Or um, what a lot of my work is, is different size projects where you can hire me to take everything from concept to final production, which is what I do more often than anything else. Um, like this, I'm working on this project for the Texas School Safety Center. You might have seen me posted um, uh, some screen grabs from that on Facebook a couple days ago where I had this girl standing in this... Uh, COVID line we created um, outside of a, a fake grocery store, <laughs> and she had she was lit by her cell phone. And that project, um, my team and I, we wrote the script for that. My team and I, meaning me and uh, people that I, I work with on a contract basis, we collaborated to write this script. And then I hire people as needed to help me put together this video, and it's a good size contract. Um, and that's that's I can scale up to do something like that. I can scale up to do large scale events, live stream events, where we're live streaming with multiple videographers and got sound guys and all different kinds of people. You know, I can scale up, but I can also scale down to just me being a freelance videographer for a job if you're just looking for a DP or a shooter. And so I really like officing from home. I like being here at my house, being able to, to 
you know, wash a load of laundry if I need to in between edits and be home in the evenings um, if I'm getting ready for a shoot, but still be around when my wife and my um, soon-to-be child will be here. And then I like the fact that I can scale up or scale down because I don't have any employees and I don't have any overhead um, uh, in terms of office space. I just office from home in my custom-built office. <laughs> and uh, and if I need uh, workers for a project or, or like other videographers, sound guys, grips, um, anything like that, a lighting crew, um, set designer, I can, I can hire them on a contract basis. So that's just the way I work. And I really like working that way. And so I'm pretty pumped about it, about it. And I'm pretty pumped about my new, my new office space. Um, whenever I get this place all fixed up, get my, my barn doors in and, get my uh, metal work with my logo in and and my uh, studio lights and sound paneling and all that stuff at that point I'll I'll give an office tour but that's that's gonna be a little ways down the road I uh, I have a baby to plan for in the meantime um, so what I want to do now is I want to get into uh, today's podcast uh, today's podcast is, as it says in the title, what lenses I have and why. And essentially what I want to do is just kind of go through the lenses I own, what I use them for, and then kind of why I have the lenses I have and why I don't have the lenses I don't have. So a brief backstory, I'll just say several years ago, back in like 2000. 15 or early 2016, somewhere around that time, I took a look at the equipment I owned and I realized, man, I've got a lot of gear and I have way more gear now than I did back then. So I'm not under any illusions that I, I have less gear now than I had back then. But at that time, I felt a little overwhelmed by the equipment I had. And it wasn't, it wasn't all my equipment. It was specifically my cameras and lenses. I felt like I just had too much. I was carrying too many cameras and lenses around. Um, that served too many different purposes, more so than I needed, and I ended up just having stuff I didn't use a whole lot. And so, I don't mind owning a lot of gear. If you know anything about me, you probably know that. I got a, I got a bunch of different type of stuff that I use for all different kinds of things, and they all serve a unique purpose for me. But when it came to the cameras and lenses I owned at that time, I had five cameras and 13 lenses, and I just felt like that was a little ridiculous and a lot more than I just really needed. Um, and, and it wasn't just all one t- one type of camera either. I had like, at the time, I think I had Sony's, I had Panasonic's, I had Blackmagic, I had a Canon maybe. I had all this stuff. I had five cameras and I had 13 lenses between them. And it was just overwhelming, to be honest with you. And a lot of that stuff just ended up never getting used or used so rarely that it just I couldn't justify having it. So I actually sold basically everything <laughs> and ended up with just three cameras because I, I sold everything, took the money, and I reinvested. And I, I ended up with just three camera bodies, all same brand. At the time, it was all Sony. So everything, they weren't the same camera, but they, um, I think at the time, I had like an A7S II, an A7R II, and an FS7. And they weren't the same camera, obviously, but it, um, they allowed me to uh, have a similar color science between the three. So color matching and post was pretty simple. And then I went with only one lens mount type. I, at the time, had Canon, I, I switched to Canon L mounted lens because Sony didn't lenses. Because Sony didn't have um, a lot of E mount lenses yet, not not like what they have now. So I I went with Canon and adapted, and and I only went with five lenses. So I went from from five cameras and thirteen lenses to three cameras that were all the same brand and 
five lenses that were all the same uh, mount. And that made me feel a lot less overwhelmed. And over the years, I've kind of stuck to um, that with the cameras. I have different cameras now. Of course, I have an FX6, an A7S3, and an A7R3. And I do plan to swap that R3 out for an A1 uh, at some point. I'm not sure when that's going to happen, but it's down the road for me, hopefully. But I only let myself own three three cameras today at, at any one given time, and I, I make sure they're always all the same brand, so in post everything is really seamless in terms of color matching. Um, and then I've, I've gone away from five lenses. I, I couldn't just own five because I had some other ones I just really needed, so now I have nine. Uh, but nine is the most I'm gonna let myself have. So three cameras is the most of any one uh, of any uh, amount of cameras that I allow myself to own at any given time. And now it's nine lenses is the most of any uh, amount of lenses that I allow myself to own uh, at any given time. And the reason is, is if I own more than that, um, something just won't get used hardly ever. And also I'll just feel overwhelmed and we'll be dragging too much stuff around. <laughs> so since, again, as I said earlier, um, I am the only full-time employee in my business and I work with a lot of contractors. I don't need equipment for my contractors. I contract guys who have their own gear. So for me, everything I own is for myself. So three cameras and nine lenses is what I've settled on. And I guess what I'll do now is I'll go through, um, I'll go through the lenses I own and, I'll, and I'm gonna start by saying this. So I have four photo zooms. I have four photo prime lenses and then I have one ENG lens. And I'm going to go through what each of those are. So on the photo zoom side, I have a 16 to 35 to 8 G master. I have a 24 to 70 to 8 G master. I have a 70 to 200 to 8 G master. And I have a 100 to 400 4.5 to 5.6 G master. Um, those are my photo zooms. For my photo primes, I have um, a Sony 24 F14 G Master. I have a Zeiss Distgon 35 F14. I have a Zeiss Planar 50 F1.4. And then I have, and I'm probably going to butcher this word, a Leola, Leola, whatever it is. It's Leola, something like that. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> um, but I have that brand lens in a 100 millimeter uh, f 2.8 2x macro those are my photo primes and then for my eng lens i have the sony 28 to 135 f4 cine servo zoom lens those are the nine lenses that i own now you'll notice a couple things here first off you'll notice that um, everything i own now is uh, in Sony mount, um, because I said I own this, I own the G Masters and the Zeisses, and those are all in Sony E mount. Uh, there are other Zeiss brand or mounted lenses out there, but the two I mentioned specifically are Sony E mount. And then I even have the Leola or Liolo, however you pronounce that. I have that in an E mount as well, and of course my um, Sony 28 to 135 is in E mount. So I run all native lenses today, um, and the reason is is because I really enjoy the native capabilities that my cameras have with native lenses such as the autofocusing technology and uh, IBIS and things like that. You can get IBIS with certain lenses adapted but not all like Nikon to Sony has a hard time getting IBIS to work um, or not IBIS, lens IS. Um, but anyway the point is is that um, is that 
I like running e-mount glass because I like having the native technology um, of using the native lenses on the native camera bodies. And also adapters for me, sometimes they, they can wiggle or wobble or uh, or even malfunction. I've had that happen. And uh, by going with native e-mount lenses, I don't really have to worry about anything like that. I know it's going to work. So that's one of the things you'll notice is that I, I now own all Sony e-mount lenses. And the other thing you'll probably notice is that I said numerous times uh, the word photo lenses. And the reason why I said that is because there is a difference between photo glass and cinema glass. And I don't really want to dive into what those differences are today. There's plenty of other podcasts or YouTube videos or things that you can read about the differences between photo lenses and cinema lenses. Um, but it's important to me that I make the comment that what I own are photo lenses and an ENG lens. And the reason is because it just this is just for me. I personally like to own photo glass and rent cinema glass. And, he, and here's really why that is. Um, photo lenses are going to be what's going to give you a more generic look. And not all photo lenses have a generic look. Um, like Canon photo lenses, for instance, tend to be a little warmer. Zeiss photo lenses tend to be a little cooler. You know, there are differences uh, between photo glass, but in the grand scheme of things, photography lenses, for the most part, are really designed, and there are exceptions, like certain lenses that are designed to look like vintage glass and things like that, but, but for the most part, when you buy, like, name brand glass, like Zeiss, Canon, Sony, etc., those those lenses are typically going to have a more generic look to them because what the um, lens manufacturer is trying to achieve is a very clean, very um, unbiased look out of the box that has, um, to their, they typically strive for really creamy bokeh, um, which is the out of focus area, and they strive for ultimate sharpness typically, and they typically strive for um, as little lens flaring as, as possible, or if it does have lens flare, they, they try to design it in the way that it's attractive. And so you'll find across the board that um, most photo lens uh, manufacturers are trying to design their lenses to have a more generic look. And that's because in photography, people typically like to have a generic look, and then they'll take that look and in Lightroom, for instance, and they'll, you know, change the look of it through however it is they edit their image. And so from a video standpoint, I like that same principle. I like to work with lenses that are not super biased. I will say my, my Zeiss lenses do look a little, a little different in my Sony glass in that they tend to pop a little more, have a little bit more micro contrast, have a little bit more, um, of uh, saturation to them naturally. They are ten have a tendency to be slightly cooler. I actually favor shooting with my Zeiss lenses more than my Sony lenses because they, they do have that Zeiss pop to them. But even, even with that, they still are pretty generic in their look. And the reason why I like that is, is if, if you go out and you buy a set of cinema lenses that are, and you drop, you know, 10, 20 plus thousand dollars on them, which cine glass can be, it can be affordable. And, and, uh, but if you're buying full frame cinema glass, it's typically more expensive. There are some affordable options out there, but they can also get over a hundred thousand dollars pretty fast. <laughs> um, but you could get like, you could get, um, the, the Rockin' on zine lenses. They're pretty affordable. You could get a set of them for 
six or eight thousand dollars you could get um like if you were shooting with super 35 uh sensors like the sony fs7 you could get like fujinon mk uh series um lenses and and they'll the set will run you like seven grand or something like that so there are definitely affordable options out there um but let's just say you do drop a chunk of money like seven eight ten twelve fifteen thousand dollars in a set of cinema lenses or more um and they have a certain unique characteristic or unique look about them like let's say you invest your money in cook lenses well all of your projects are going to have this cook biased look to them or let's just say you do buy the fujinon mk lenses those fujinon lenses are really beautiful but they definitely have their own unique look to it and everything you shoot is going to have the fujinon mk look to it and the same thing goes with if you buy canon cine primes and so on and so forth and my point is is that I think a lot of people don't understand how much glass affects the way your image looks. Because to me, to me, there are two things that make up 90% of the way your images look. Um, it, those two things are going to be the lighting and your glass choice. And I say glass and not lens choice because you have... Um, the lenses you choose have um, one look to it, and then you can alter the look even more by what kind of filters you put in front of the lens, like um, if you want to put any kind of mist filters or um, anything like that, you can, or even you could even put um, filters that simulate anamorphic flares, like Polar Pro has some really great gold morphic or blue morphic um, lens filters that create blue blue or gold um, looking anamorphic flares. So you can alter your image even more um, than just what the lens does by depending on, on what kind of filters you put in front of the glass. And so to me, glass itself, whether it's the lens or the filters or combination thereof, are used to paint your image kind of like a paintbrush and so is lighting. So to me, um, lighting and glass choice um, make up 90% of what your image looks like. The rest of it is what kind of camera you use or picture profiles you shoot in or whether you shoot in RAW or not or whether you have a 10-bit, 8-bit or more codec or the way you color grade your images. All those things obviously have an effect, but 90% of it is lighting and glass choice. Um, and you use your lights not to add light but to paint your image and you use your glass choice to... Um, make your paint and to basically determine what you want your paint to look like after you've painted it with your lights. And so I, I know that sounds kind of odd, but it's the truth. The truth is, is glass choice and and lighting dictates the the majority of what your your final image is going to look like. And so if you if you buy cinema lenses, whether it's cine primes or cine zooms, whether they're expensive or whether they're cheaper, Across the board, most cinema lenses have their own unique characteristics or own unique look to them, which is great. I mean, that's why like, a lot of people, again, don't understand this either. But because of that, when uh, you have a director who's working alongside uh, like a producer or a script writer, and they're kind of figuring out the overall look of a show or a series or a movie, a lot of times what they'll do, a big part of that conversation is lens choice. You know, how, what kind of lenses do we want to use? And the reason why that's a topic of conversation is what lenses they go with will dramatically affect what the overall look of the final product is going to look like. And if they want it to have a certain look to to convey their story in a certain way, they might go with Angulix um, 
zoom lenses, or they might go with Cook or uh, uh, Primes, or or they might go with Zeiss Primes, or or they might go with Airy Primes. I mean, there's so many different directions that they can go, and that that glass choice will dictate what the movie or what the scene or what the uh, show or documentary will look like. And so if you think about it from that perspective, for me as an owner operator, I don't want to buy cinema primes or cine, cine zooms at any price point and have all of my images have a certain specific look to them. Whether, whether I like the look or not, I don't want everything I own to look exactly the same. I want to be able to adapt my look based on the project. So as a rule of thumb for me, as an owner-operator, I prefer to own photo lenses, which tend to be a little less biased for when it comes to glass. They're, they're a more neutral, more general in their look. That way I can put filters in front of them to change the look up some, depending on what I want. But across the board, they're pretty general. So most of whether I'm getting hired for a, a corporate job or, or whether I'm getting hired to do short film project or to live stream an event or whatever, I have general purpose lenses that don't really have a ton of bias to them. I, I, I said that they do have some bias. I mean, the Zeiss does have a little bit of a pop to it that I like, but across the board, it's pretty general. And so for an owner operator standpoint, I'd rather own lenses that have uh, less bias to them so I can use them for a wide range of applications. And then if I do have a project that I want to change the look of beyond what my lenses can do, if I'm shooting a music video, for instance, and I have a specific look I want, I can rent the cine zooms or cine primes that I want for that specific project. That way I'm never tied to any one look because I own my own cinema glass. I basically own general purpose, less biased glass that I can use for a wide range of applications. And then I rent the cine zooms or cine primes that I want to use for a project if I want to change the look beyond what my photo glass can do. And I really like that approach. When cinema lenses are, are a lot more than just the, the look, obviously, they have longer focus throws that are really consistent, making pulling focus a lot more accurate and precise. And if they're cine zooms, they tend to be uh, parfocal. So when you zoom in or out during the middle of a shot, they don't lose focus, unlike photo glass. You know, cine zooms um, and cine primes have a tendency not to breathe very much. Not all of them, but most of them have a tendency not to breathe as much as photo glass. So if you're doing a rack focus, your image is not zooming in or out during your rack focus, which is what focus breathing is. And as I said earlier, I'm not going to go into all the difference between cinema lenses and photo lenses, but obviously there are more things to cine lenses than just the way they look. However, as an owner operator, I would rather own general purpose photo glass that has things like lens image stabilization in my 70 to 200 and 100 to 400 and in my ENG lens. You're not going to find those in, uh, in, in cinema lenses. So I own photo lenses that have image stabilization in them. I own uh, photo, not all of them, but a couple of them. I own uh, photo lenses that have autofocus kit technology. You're not going to find that um, in 99.9% .9 of cinema lenses. Sony's starting to come out with some autofocus capable cinema lenses, but 
I have a feeling they're going to be pretty generic looking and I probably wouldn't use them because to me, I don't, I think they're just rehoused versions of their photo lenses that have um, the features of cine glass, but they don't really have a, a different look about them. But the point is, is that 99.9% .9 of cinema lenses are not going to have autofocus capabilities. So I own lenses that are unbiased, that have, uh, and longer focal lengths have image stabilization. All of my lenses, except for the Leola or however you pronounce that, has uh, have autofocus capabilities. And so from an owner-operator standpoint, my lenses, if I want to manual focus them, of course I can. If I want autofocus, of course now I have that technology or that capability if I want to use autofocus for something. And then I have image stabilization and my longer focal lengths and so on and so forth. So unbiased lenses that have autofocus and image stabilization technologies are the reason why I own photo lenses and not cinema lenses. And so that's an important thing to go over today because as an owner operator, I think that's a wise decision. Um, so just own photo glass and rent cine glass depending on the project or the look that you're after. I think personally, that's the way to go. And it goes back to kind of like the office thing. I said in my business, because I, I have my office here at the house and because I don't have any full-time employees, I can scale up or down to any size project I want. Well, the same thing goes with my lens choices. I can scale up or down to any look uh, or any type of project I want. If I want to just do a, a lower end, just a day rate shoot for someone, I can, but I can also scale up, rent the glass, and and have a unique specific look that a director wants for a music video. So that's just the, that's just the way I like to operate. So now that I've talked about that, I want to go into each of these lenses and what I use them for. And we'll start with the, uh, the zooms. When it comes to the 16 to 35, 24 to 70, and 70 to 200, those three lenses are all f2.8 lenses. They're pretty fast for zooms. And if you know anything or about, about lenses, you've probably heard that those, the 16, 35, 24, 70, 72, lenses are typically referred to as the holy trinity of lenses. I don't typically like to say the holy trinity because I believe there's only one holy trinity out there and I don't like to call my lenses that, but I just want to say that that's what, um, that's what people often refer to them as, and you've probably read that before. A reason being is that with those three lenses, you get pretty fast f-stop at f2.8, so they're pretty good in low light, and you can create a nice shallow depth of field with them. Um, and with those three focal lengths, you could cover almost anything, and that's kind of how I use them. I use the 16 to 35, 24, 70, 7200 to cover a lot of my projects. I can grab those three lenses and do almost anything that I want to do with those three lenses. And so those three, man, if I, if I could only own three, those would be the three I'd own because I can use them for so many different things. What I use the 16 to 35 for is I'll use it for some gimbal work, I'll use it for uh, landscape shots, I'll use it for establishing shots, I'll use it for time lapses, um, and just general purpose wide angle shots. It's really great um, as a general wide angle lens, and I love the fact that it's an f2.8. When it comes to 24 to 70, same thing. I love the fact it's an f2.8, and I use it just as a kind of a general purpose lens. If I'm shooting at a, a dentist's office and I'm getting a lot of different B-roll shots to go with some interviews I did, I do this quite a bit, I'll go in and I'll shoot a lot of that off of the uh, 24 to 70 uh, handheld um, with my Easy Rig so that I can get in there and get a variety of shots from 24 millimeters to 70 millimeters, be able to change my 
my focal links pretty quickly on the fly and be able to do it all with a f-stop that goes all the way down to f2.8. So it's a great general purpose lens. The 70 to 200 is uh, a great interview lens if you're filming um, with a couple different cameras and you want like a side angle shot. It's a great side angle shot for getting like the top of the head down to the chest and then smashing the depth of field, like completely, completely pulling your subject out of the background um, and separating them so that you can have a really shallow depth of field beyond just having an f2.8 because your zoom affects your, or your focal length affects your depth of field just as much as your f-stop does. So being able to zoom in and use that with the combination of the f2.8, I can suck my subject out of the background for um, uh, side angle interview shots. I really like that for that purpose. And then it's also a lens I use for what I like to call sniper shots. Sniper shots are basically when whenever I'm covering an event or maybe um, like when I was in Pakistan and I was, I know people knew I was there. I was the only white guy there. Um, but then they would kind of forget about me and they go about their business. And meanwhile, I'm picking them off with my sniper lens and that's my, my 70, 200, And so when I'm in a situation like that, or like when I'm in covering an event or whatever, and I'm wanting to film people and I don't want them to pay a ton of attention to me, of course, they're going to see a guy with a tripod and a camera there, but eventually they're not going to pay as much attention to, to me as they were at first, they're going to end up going about their business and kind of forgetting I'm there. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there on my tripod with my 70 to 200 getting shots of them going about their routines or going about their daily life or if they're at an event going about being at the event. And I'm kind of covering that from a distance, getting shots of people from a distance. I call them sniper shots. It just basically allows me to get shots of people without them paying attention to me rather than having a you know, a, sh a shorter focal length and having to get up in their face. I really, really like it for that. It's also a great lens for sh shooting events and stuff like that. If you want to get closer to like, if you're filming a speaking uh, engagement and you want to get a closer shot of the speaker on stage and obviously you can't be on stage, it's great for stuff like that as well. So I, I really love the 7200. Uh, I'll throw it on my on my FX6, for instance, put it on my tripod and, and I'll use the heck out of that thing. So those, those three lenses are, are really my probably my primary workhorse lenses. Um, and I use them for those kinds of applications. Um, next would be my 100 to 400, 4.5 to 5.6. Um, this is my go-to lens for wildlife videography and wildlife photography. Um, I really don't, I, I've gotten paid for photography work um, for several different jobs, but most of my work is really video. I market myself as a videography company or video production company. And I, I focus on videography and live streaming. So for me, when I use the 100-400, sometimes I'll use it for wildlife photography, but mainly what I'm using it for is wildlife video. Back when I did a lot of hunting stuff, I'd use this lens to um, get the wildlife footage and the kill shots. Today, I do some hunting stuff, but I use it more for getting wildlife shots if I'm doing a shoot for a big ranch, whether that is a hunting ranch or whether it's a, um, a horse ranch or cattle ranch or whatever. I use it for those kinds of things. I even use it for a lot of landscape shots when I want to make mountains, for instance, look really big. And then obviously, if you just have a shot where you just need to reach out and have zoom and be able to reach out there and grab something, I'll use it for that as well. So it's just my general go-to lens for long range filming. I also have a 1.4 times uh, teleconverter for that. I don't recommend the two times teleconverter because you lose two stops of light with it and it just softens the image too much and creates too much chromatic aberration and purple fringing, which I hate. Um, but the one 
the 1.4 times you only lose one stop of light and the chromatic aberration and purple fringing isn't that bad and it still is pretty sharp. So I'll use that if I just really, really, really need some more reach, but most of the time I just use it on its own. Now I could own the 200 to 600, um, but 200 to me was a little a little too narrow, a little too close for that lens for me. I like to be able to get a little wider at the 100 millimeter end of things. Also, the 100-400 is uh, a little bit sharper and noticeably faster for autofocus. And then the uh, I could own like the 400-2.8 prime or the 600 f4 prime, but honestly, I don't have a need for those lenses. Any type of video, because I shoot video primarily, any type of video I do, concerning wildlife, I want the ability to zoom in or out, and I don't want to have um, a lens like a 600 f4 that I can't change the focal range on when covering wildlife projects. So um, for me, just in my line of work, the 100-400 is all I need for my wildlife work. Um, next up would be my primes. So I, I said that I had a 24-1.4 G Master. That's an incredible lens. I used to own the 25 f2 um, Zeiss Battis before the 24 came out, and it was a great lens. I used it a lot, but I do like the 24-1.4 better because it's a full stop faster than the f2 25 was, so you get a little bit shallower depth of field and a little bit better low-light performance for astro photography or nightscapes, which is what I use this lens for a lot. Um, I use the 16-35 sometimes for, for night shots if I need to get wider than 24 millimeters. But to be honest with you, just this is just my taste. But for my taste, I just personally am not crazy about super wide angle lenses. I'll use my 16 millimeter, 16-35 at 16 millimeters sometimes. But I just, I'm, I'm just, this not my thing. So for me, I I use the 24-1.4 for basically any astro work I do, whether it's astrophotography or nightscapes. It's great for that because it has a very low coma effect, which means your stars are not going to be elongated or winged or anything weird like that. They're going to be pin, pin sharp. So it's got pin sharp stars as well as a very low f-stop. So it's absorbing a ton of light at nighttime. And it is sharp at f1.4. So you can shoot it wide open without the image looking soft, uh, or at least very soft. And so it, you could shoot it at one four, suck in a ton of light for nighttime stuff. So you can keep your ISO down and just have really clean astro or nightscape shots. So it's great for that. Um, it's a pretty good time-lapse lens too. Like I, I said earlier, I really like the 1635-28 for uh, time-lapses. And it is a great time-lapse lens because you can change your focal lengths and it is pretty sharp. And that's my go-to time-lapse lens. But the 24-1.4 is slightly sharper than the 1635. So if I want like the sharpest of the sharp, time lapses I'll use it for that but usually what I use it for is nightscapes astrophotography um and then I use it on my gimbal some quite a bit too. I like my 1635 on a gimbal because I like the fact I can change my focal lengths. Now you need to rebalance your camera if you change your focal lengths because when you zoom in or out with that 16 to 35, the lens itself is going to physically move in or out, which will change your balance point. So if you use a lens like a 16 to 35 on a gimbal and you do change your focal length, you probably ought to rebalance your gimbal for 
the most optimal results. But on the 2414, um, I'll a lot of times put that on my gimbal instead because it's smaller and lighter, so you have less fatigue when using the gimbal. And also because it's a 1.4 lens, if I'm getting a gimbal shot inside, for, for instance, it's two stops faster than that 16 to 35 is at an f2.8. And that those two stops indoors can really be the difference between uh, a slightly noisy or grainy image versus no noise or grain at all. And so I really like using it for gimbal work indoors. And then on top of that, I really like being able to get a shallow depth of field with my 2414 on a gimbal. That's a really great look. It's not too wide. I'm not into the let's run a 16 millimeter lens on a gimbal. I, I'll do that if I'm shooting interior shots of like a building or something. But most of the time, if I'm on a gimbal, I'm at 24 millimeters or above because I like, I just, again, like I said earlier, I just like tighter looks a little bit better than I do anything that's super wide. So 24 millimeters is a good focal range for a gimbal for me. And at F14, if you're following a subject, for instance, you can really get a nice shallow depth of field, even though you're using a pretty wide lens. So I really like it for gimbal work. It's lightweight, great in low light, nice depth of field despite being wide, and it's great for astro work and uh, nightscape. So that's that's pretty much what I use the 24144. I also use it as my travel lens, and when I when I'm traveling uh, for myself, not for work, but like my wife and I are going to a national park or something, I usually take this think tank um, backpack I own. It's like an everyday, I have a lot of think tank backpacks, but I have one in particular that's kind of like my everyday pack. And in that backpack, I'll have like my laptop and some headphones and stuff like that for traveling. And I'll also keep um, my A7R3 as well as three, three lenses in it. And those three lenses are gonna be the 2414 as my wide angle travel lens. My 5014 is kind of my street photography lens or portrait lens. And then I'll use my 100 to 400 for wildlife or tight landscape type stuff. So um, I also, so my point to that is I also use it as a travel wide angle lens. Um, so next up is my 3514. Um, the 3514 for me, my favorite way to use it is for wide angle interview shots. Um, when I'm shooting interviews, I like to usually shoot it off a 35, a 50, and a 70 to 200. That way you're having kind of a wide 35 millimeter shot, something a little tighter at 50 millimeters, and then something super tight with the 70 to 200. And I really like shooting it, shooting my interviews that way. The 3414 is a beautiful lens, got that Zeiss pop to it I talked about earlier. And when you're shooting wide angle interviews with it, it's not so wide like a 24 millimeter where the subject might look either kind of small or maybe they look a little um, like a little uh, distorted because the lens is kind of wide because the 24 millimeters can do that. Um, at 35, the subject doesn't really tend to look distorted at all, um, but yet it's still pretty wide. And because uh, it's at 35 millimeters, there's actually quite, even though they're both F14 lenses, the 24 and the 35, there's quite a bit of difference between the depth of field on a 35-14 and the depth of field on a 24-14. So for a wide angle interview lens, um, when compared to the 24, when using the 35, you're not getting that distortion and you're getting even more depth of field, quite a bit shallower depth of field, um, really making it a really beautiful lens choice for wide angle interviews where you want to have width and room in your shot, but you still want to have a shallow depth of field. And I like wide angle inter interview shots like that because it gives me space. Like if I have the subject framed it, let's just say I use a 35 millimeter as my, uh, 
as a shot that's right in front of the subject and I'm centering them in the frame, for instance, or even if I'm angling them slightly and putting them on, say, the left side of the frame. What, what this 35 millimeter lens does is because it's kind of wide and yet still shallow, it gives me tons of room to be able to put lower thirds on the screen. And so I really like using it as my wide angle interview lens when I want, especially when I want to put um, a lower thirds on the screen without covering up the subject. If you use something tighter, your lower thirds is going to go over your subject and could get kind of lost on them. So I love it for that purpose. I also use a 3514 um, as just a general purpose um, prime lens. There's kind of this debate on whether the 35 or the 50 millimeter lens is closest to the human eye perspective. Some say it's 50 millimeters, some say it's 35. I, I say it could be either. And, and so for me, I, I really like the 35 is just a general purpose prime lens that does kind of look like what the human eye sees in terms of, of, of uh, proportions and, and width and things like that. Um, and then I'll use the 50 when I want a similar look, but just tighter. So it's a great general purpose um, lens. I, if I'm just running and gunning, I'll probably reach for the 24 to 70 over the 3514. Um, but for commercial work, like a project I'm working on with Texas State right now, where I'm shooting it all off of prime lenses because I want the, the, the optimal sharpness and I want to be able to create more a shallower depth of field at times, um, and I'm shooting all on primes, I'll use a 35-1.4 as kind of my general purpose commercial prime lens. Or if I'm filming like a narrative or a music video where I want to use my prime lenses, I'll use this 35 as kind of just a generic look that's a little bit more than like what the human eye can see. It also makes for a really great gimbal lens. So I'll use the 24-1.4 on the gimbal, as I said earlier, but if I want something a little tighter than 24 millimeters and even shallower depth of field, like uh, the shot I just got two days ago, of this teacher walking up to a student and I really wanted the teacher in focus and I wanted to pull her out of the background, I'll switch to that 35-1.4 and that looks like a magic on a gimbal. It's a really cool gimbal lens for when you really want to pull your subject away from the background. Next up is my 51.4. This is my favorite lens I own. It's the 50 millimeter Zeiss um, Planar uh, F1.4. It's one of the sharpest 50 millimeters ever made. Um, at any price point. Um, in fact, really about the only lens sharper than it would be the Zeiss Otis 5514, or is it 5518? I think it's 5514. Um, but that's like a $5,000 prime lens that has zero electronics in it. <laughs> um, so like, or it doesn't have autofocus in it. And so for an autofocus capable lens that costs like fifteen or $1,600, it's amazing that this is like the second sharpest 50 millimeter you can buy. There, I think Nikon had this really unique 50 millimeter that, um, that they were coming out with, and I think they did come out with it, and it was an insanely expensive and huge, and it, maybe it beats it in sharpness now, I'm not sure, but the point is, is that the 51.4 Zeiss Planar by Sony is a $1,500 prime lens that's one of the sharpest lenses money can buy. I mean, it's incredibly sharp, and it's just a phenomenal lens to use for interviews, especially with Sony's newer cameras that have eye autofocus. I'll use it on my FX6 as um, one of my primary uh, angles for interviews. And with eye autofocus, I can shoot wide open at f1.4 and never lose the subject's eye and have that really unique shallow depth of field look if I want it. Sometimes I don't. Um, but it's great for interviews. It's when you want something tighter than 35 and it's just a great prime lens in general. I'll use it when I'm getting a lot of just 
B-roll shots of people doing stuff, whether they're typing on a computer and I want their hands on a computer, or maybe I want a side shot of someone's face as they're looking at a computer. Maybe I want a, a shot of someone um, grabbing a cup of coffee off a counter or anything like that. I love using this lens for it because it has, it's kind of like the 35 in that it kind of has a, a human eye perspective look to it, but it has basically no distortion at all. And the 35 doesn't have a ton, but this one has like zero distortion. And it's just a beautiful lens for getting, just going around and getting shots and just really having a shallow depth of field if you want it. And it's so sharp and has such a pretty color to it. Um, it's my favorite lens I've ever owned at any price point. And I've owned lenses that cost four or $5,000. And this is still my favorite lens I've ever owned. It's just so pretty. Um, and I use it when I... When I do do photography, which is not very often, I'll use it for portraits. Um, but really what I use it for, since I mainly do video, is, is a camera interview shots um, and just generic B-roll shots when I just want just that beautiful, beautiful look. Uh, it's just such a, such a nice lens. Um, and then next up is uh, the Laola, Laola, however you pronounce that, 100 millimeter, um, 2.8, 2X macro. I had thought about for a while getting the Sony 90 millimeter f2.8 macro. It's a really popular Sony lens because it's one of one of Sony's sharper lenses. It's not as sharp as the 50, <laughs> but it's one of Sony's sharper lenses, and uh, it's got image stabilization and autofocus and blah blah blah. But the problem with the 90 millimeter 2.8 macro is that it has a one to one magnification, which for a macro lens is pretty common. But it's really not a. It's really not super super close. And when I shoot macro, which is not a not a lot in my work to be honest, but the times when I do, I want to be able to get really really close. To me, that's the whole point of the macro lens is to get really close. And a one to one magnification just isn't a ton. But on this Lyola Lyola hundred millimeter. 2.8 2x macro, it has a two to one magnification, literally twice that of the 90 millimeter. And being that it's 100 millimeters as opposed to 90 millimeters, it's actually 10 millimeters uh, more reach. And so altogether, that 100 millimeter 2.8 2x macro, it's, it allows you to get insanely close to your subject. So whether you're shooting an eyeball or a bug or or maybe you're wanting to shoot a water droplet on a leaf and get so close to the water droplet that you can see the reflection of what's in the droplet. I mean, you could do that with this lens because of how incredibly close you can get to your subject. And it's really sharp, which is surprising because the lens costs like $450. Now, it's not it's not a lens that's going to have autofocus or image stabilization, but in, in macro, you really want to be on a, on a tripod when you're doing macro shots because you're so close. If you weren't, it would look horrible. So you want to be on a tripod. So to me, image stabilization doesn't matter. And also when you're shooting macro shots, you're going to want to pull focus manually, not with autofocus. Autofocus and macro just have never really gone hand in hand very well. And so for, for me, that 90 millimeter 2.8 macro from Sony, I think the reason why a lot of people buy it is because they use the autofocus and the image stabilization from it for things other than just macro. But if you're looking for just a macro lens, which is all I was looking for from this Leola lens, if, if you're just wanting macro, get something with a two to one magnification like this. And that, um, 
And don't, don't worry about it having image stabilization or autofocus because you don't need it. And so this lens is a two to one magnification. It's really sharp, produces nice colors, and it's only 450 bucks. So for a, a lens that for me has only one purpose, it's a one trick pony, it's great for macros, and that's all I wanted it to be good for. This is the best choice in Sony's system, in my opinion. Now I really, really, really like it and highly recommend it as a macro lens. It's the only non-Zeiss or Sony lens I own at the moment. Um, and probably, I'm pretty much done with lenses right now, so I don't see myself buying any more lenses anytime soon. Because like I said earlier, I have a nine lens rule. Um, and so like for me, like this is the only non-Sony lens I own or non-Zeiss lens I own. And I'm totally cool with it because it's really nice. <laughs> it's really nice for what it is. Um, and you might notice, so that's the end of my prime lenses. You might notice other than this macro, 100 millimeter 2.8 macro, I don't own any primes over 50 millimeters. Like it's very common for people to have like an 85-1.4 prime or a 135-1.8 prime. But for me, um, I've owned 85s and I've played around with the 135-1.8 and they're great. Like the Sony's 85-1.4 G Master is a really nice lens. The 135-1.8 G Master is an incredible lens. But to be honest with you, when I owned an 85 mil, I never ever reached for it. Um, I always, anytime I wanted something over 50 millimeters, I always went for the 70 to 200 to 8. And I know there's a difference between the 85, uh, 1.4 and obviously having your 70 to 200 and putting it at 85 millimeters at f2.8. Obviously there's a difference there. But if I want to suck my subject out of the background the way an 85 does, I'll just take my 7200 and I'll zoom in and suck them out that way. And I know it's not the same look, but it's good enough for me. So for me, when it comes to prime lenses, I like a 2414 for the reasons stated earlier. I like a 3514 and the 5114. I already went over why I like them. And then anything over that, I grab the 72028. It's just, I've owned 85s, i played with 135s, and I've just never really, it's just never been my thing. I just like the 7200 more. So the only lens I own that's a prime that's over 50 millimeters is that 100 millimeter 2.8. And that's just because it's a macro lens. So that's just kind of me and my, my personal uh, preference or my taste. Lastly, so I've covered the photo zooms and the photo primes. And so what I'm going to do last is talk about my ENG lens. This is the Sony 28 to 135 F4 Cine Servo zoom lens. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with this lens. So I used to own the Canon 18 to 80 Cine Servo zoom lens. It's a pretty pricey lens. I paid like $4,600 for it and the grip that came with it. It was a, it's a servo zoom. It was a servo zoom lens by Canon that has a constant F4 f-stop and image stabilization and a lot of cinema characteristics like it didn't have uh, very much focus breathing and it was parfocal and yada yada. And it was a great, great documentary lens, but I sold it when I went all native E-mount and I picked up Sony's 18 to 110. You might've seen me posting uh, pictures with the 18 to 110 on my FS7 in the past. I loved the 18 to 110 from Sony. It was cheaper than the 18 to 80 by Canon. It was like $3,500, I think. Um, and it was a great lens. Oh my God. It was a great lens. Uh, it was a super 35 only lens, so not full frame. So in full frame terms, it was essentially the full frame equivalent of a uh, 27 to 165 millimeters, which if you think about it, that's a big range, right? 27 to 165 millimeters 
at f4, like that's a big range. And when you combine that with native autofocus, uh, image stabilization, um, the fact that it's parfocal, the fact that it had very little breathing, the fact that uh, you had a servo zoom, and the fact that it had a full manual focus with hard stops as well, I feel like I felt like that was a lens that I could throw on my FS7 and I could shoot whole entire projects on if the project was calling for me to go out and just cover like an event or a documentary or something like that. Obviously, if I'm doing um, a commercial project or a music video or anything like that, I'm going to probably use primes or my faster zooms. But when I was out shooting dock projects or fishing shows or upland bird hunts, or um, covering an event or anything like that where you just need a camera with one lens that you can't that you're not going to take off for pretty much the whole day that 18 to 110 Sony Cine servo zoom lens was the bomb and it was pretty sharp too I really liked that lens a lot but it's a super 35 lens so when I switched from the FS7 Mark II to the FX6 I couldn't really use it. I mean, technically I could by putting the FX6 into Super 35 mode, but it only does Super 35 in HD, unlike the FX9, which does Super 35 in 4K. So because I own the FX6, if I wanted to use that lens, I can only use it in HD. Well, who wants to do that, right? I shoot almost everything in 4K these days. Um, I want to be able to use full frame 4K. That's the whole point of the FX6. So for me, I, I had to sell it, and I bought the 28-135, which looks very similar and feels very similar to the 18 to 110. It's just a full frame version and but it's cheaper and I'll tell you why it's cheaper. Um, it came out earlier than the 18 to 110. It is full frame. It is an F4 lens. It is a Cine servo zoom lens. It has the the servo zoom and it's got it's electronically parfocal and doesn't breathe a whole lot and all the things I said about the 18 to 110 it has just in full frame but it's not as sharp or not as pleasing of, of an image as the 18 to 110 which is part of the reason why it's a thousand dollars cheaper I think it costs 2500 bucks so it's like a thousand dollars cheaper and part of it's because it's not as sharp as the 18 to 110. And the other part of it is the servo zoom is slower than the 18 to 110 servo zoom was. So you can't zoom as fast with it. On the 18 to 110, you could declutch the servo to where when you zoomed in or out, you, you had a little pen. Literally, it's a pen on the side of the zoom, on the side of the uh, zoom ring, and you could do like crash zooms manually. Well, you can't do that on the 28 to 135 because you can never declutch the servo. The servo is always engaged. You can zoom without using the servo by using the uh, zoom ring, but it still uses the servo's motor to change the uh, focal range. So if you want to do any kind of zooms with that lens, you're forced to do it through the servo's motors, and so it's pretty slow. And so you can't do crash zooms with it the way you could on the 18 to 110, which could be declutched. Um, the manual focus on it is not as smooth um, or as precise to me as the um, 18 to 110 was, which had a true manual focus ring with hard stops. This just I don't know. It's just not the same. It's servo driven, which is weird, but it is a servo driven manual focus lens. It's definitely still better than most of Sony's photo lenses that are fly by wire, but it's, it's still odd. It's not truly manual. It's manual with a servo motor. It's weird. And then on top of that, um, 
it, I hated the lens hood that it came with. It was kind of a joke compared to what the 18 to 110 had, which was a more of a traditional video camera lens hood that had little barn doors in front of it that you could open or close. So, but that being said, when it comes to full frame lenses that covered that kind of range, it's really your only choice. I mean, really, if you want a full frame lens from Sony, that's a constant F4 that has an image stabilization system inside of it, and that has a pretty big focal range, your two options are the 24 to 105 and this 28 to 135. And I chose the 28 to 135 over the 24 to 105, despite being more expensive, um, because I do like having, sir, even though the servo is slow, I like having it for live streaming and event events and things where I want to slowly zoom in or out on the speaker. Um, I, I bought it over the eight, the 24 to 105 because I do like that it has a longer focal range reach. Uh, 105 versus 135, there's a pretty big difference there. Um, I bought it over the 24 to 105 because I appreciate the fact that it does have a much, even though the, the manual focus is servo driven, it's still much easier to manual focus with this lens than the uh, 24 to 105, which has a terrible manual focus on it, in my opinion. It's really hard to manual focus that lens. Um, and I bought it over the 24 to 105 because I like that it, it doesn't breathe very much. And uh, if you get a good copy, you have to get a good copy, but if you get a good copy, it is par focal. So it's a good lens for what it is. It just could be better. I feel like the 18 to 110, which is newer, and obviously it's a thousand dollars more expensive, despite being uh, not a full frame lens. Um, it, it, it's a, it's just a better lens. And I wish this one was like the 18 to 110, just full frame. And maybe one day they'll make one, but. I'm kind of thinking that's not going to be for a while because this lens is so popular now that the FX6 and FX9 are out that it's been extremely backordered for most people. So it's a, I mean, it's a good lens for what it is. It's just not my favorite lens in the world, but it's, I use it as utilitarian lens. You know, I, it's, I, I pull it out as a tool when I'm shooting events, when I'm shooting dock projects or a fishing show or an upland bird hunt or anything where I need, um, to run around and get a lot of shots with just one lens and I need a good manual focus and a lens I can rely on. It's not the prettiest or sharpest tool in the shed, but it does get the job done and that's what I use it for. So anyway, those are the nine lenses I own. They are the only nine lenses I own. Um, I don't see myself going past nine. Um, I really don't have a reason to. I keep my four photo zooms and my four photo primes, all eight of those photo lenses, I keep them in a think tank backpack where I keep my two photography cameras slash B cams, my A7S three and A7R three. I keep those two cameras with those eight lenses in one backpack. And then I keep my 28 to 135 with my FX6 and uh, another roller bag, and that's just how I roll, <laughs> pun intended. See what I did there? So you, <laughs> I roll around, or run around rather, with those, those two um, bags, and that gives me um, everything I could need out of my lenses. It gives me nine lenses, allows me to do everything I could possibly need to do um, with three camera bodies that allow me to cover everything I need to cover. Uh, a cinema camera in the FX6 that I use as my primary camera for everything. An A7S III, which is just an incredible B cam for all my motion work on gimbal sliders, jibs, drones, etc. And then the A7R III for just your C camera, third angle interview camera, 
photography camera and time-lapse camera. I do, again, I want to replace the R3 with an A1 at some point, um, but that's what I have right now, and those are the lenses I have, and I feel like with those, I can do anything I need to do. Could I own less? Sure, I could get rid of um, everything, but like the 1635, 2470, 200, and I could do pretty much all I need to do with those three lenses. Um, however, for the way I shoot and the type of looks I, I like to go with, for the different types of projects I do, these nine lenses, um, allow me to cover the types of work that I like to cover with the style that I like. Um, and then anything else I need, I rent. And there you have it, guys. That's episode 36, what lenses I have and why. If you have any questions on this podcast, let me know. Shoot me an email at josh at rusticriver.media or preferably go to the Filming with Josh Facebook group, ask to join the group and post your question there so that we can answer it or I can or whomever else wants to answer it can chime in and answer it in front of other people because other people might have the same question as you. If you're not yet a member of the Filming with Josh Facebook group, I want to encourage you to go to Facebook, type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today. I'll be sure to approve you as soon as I see that request. I'm usually pretty fast about that. Um, and uh, join the group. It's a great group to come and ask questions or just be a part of a community that uh, is all about video production and the business behind it. Until next time, guys, see you later. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.